So in the scriptures, if you want to have the power and authority of God in your life, you need to be going with God. You need to find out what God's up to and what he wants us to do to join him in his activities. And this comes out of John chapter 5, verse 17, when Jesus says, My father has been working until now, and I too am working. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I tell you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For what he does, the son does likewise. For the father loves the son and shows him everything he's doing. And he will show him even greater works than these, so that you may be amazed. It's a partnership. Partnership with God. And now it's a partnership with all three. The, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and us are in partnership all the time, every day. We have an opportunity to have the power and the authority of God flowing through our lives impact the world around us. So I want to walk through Luke chapter 9, story by story, just to show you what I'm talking about. Because sometimes... We like to get ahead of God. Sometimes we think we know better than God, and we want God to come in and bless our plan. So let's see what, what's going on. So at the beginning of Luke chapter 9, Jesus has a plan. He wants to send the gospel to all the surrounding towns and the villages. And so he gathers the disciples, it says in Luke chapter 9, verse 1, and he called the 12 together, and he gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And then he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Jesus had a plan. He empowered the disciples and he sent them out. And in verse 10, it says they came back and they returned and they told him all that they had done. Like they were amazed. This is the first time they went out in the power and authority of God. And lives were transformed. People were healed. They got their, 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 their families back, their jobs back, their lives back because the power of God was manifested through their life. So in verse 10, it says, as they were talking, a crowd started to gather. And not just a small crowd. I guess there was a bit of a, a newscast. Look what's going on with these disciples. People are being healed. Demons are coming out of people. They're being set free. And so crowds started to gather. 5,000 men, it says. So you can add another 5,000 women or more, plus kids. We're talking about 12,000 people. And the disciples, of course, they're, they're no fools. They, they've been around. They're businessmen. They can see that there's trouble here because Jesus is waxing eloquently about the kingdom of God. And so they, they come up with a plan. Jesus, they say, in verse 12. As the day began to wear away, Jesus, we have a plan. Um, you see, there's a ton of people here, and we don't have enough uh, two-for-one pizza coupons to feed them. Um, you know, we don't have any, uh, any access to the, the local restaurants. We, we better just start sending people away to, and send them home. You know, it's for their own good. And, you know, by all accounts, it's a pretty good plan. You can't just have people sit there and starve. And, uh, and so Jesus says, you know, guys, you've reached consensus, You've done your research. Uh, you've, you've, you've got agreement here. Let's go with your plan and send everyone away. Well, he doesn't say that. What he says, he turns to them in, in verse 13. He says, you give them something to eat. 
and they said, uh, Jesus, maybe you don't understand. <laughs> like, we've, we've actually done due diligence here. We've, we've scoured the crowds and we found this kid. He's got a few loaves of bread and some fishes, and that's it. We didn't even bring food for ourselves. And Jesus basically says, sit down. Uh, don't hurt yourself, <laughs> because let me show you what I have planned. He decided... At this moment, in fact, this one miracle is the, is the only miracle apart from the resurrection that is recorded in all four Gospels. It so impressed them. So he says, sit, sit them down in groups of 50, and he got the few loaves and the fishes, and uh, he blessed it, and then he went around to feed 12,000 people. So tell me, what's the difference between the disciples' plan and God's plan? It was the opposite. They, the disciples came up with a new ministry of sending people away, and Jesus says, no, let's feed them, not just spiritually, let's feed them physically. And so, but it doesn't stop there. You see, in this chapter, there's another story after story after story. It says uh, in uh, verse 28, it came to pass about eight days after these sayings that he took Peter and James and John up to the mountain to pray. So as he's up the mountain praying, all of a sudden, this is called the Mount of Transfiguration because Jesus, I, I don't mean to be sacrilegious at all when I speak, but in my mind, Jesus begins to glow in the dark, okay? And uh, the glory of God is shining on him, and all of a sudden, poof, we've got Elijah's there, and poof, there's Moses standing there beside Jesus, and they're talking, and they're encouraging Jesus and they're preparing him for the death he's about to experience in Jerusalem. He was, he was needing a boost. He was needing encouragement from two of the, the primary characters of the whole Old Testament. These two guys did amazing things. In fact, all the New Testament references go way back to what Moses and Elijah did as the two most powerful, significant characters. And they're there with Jesus. And what are the disciples doing? If you, you know the story, they're, they're schnoozing. So it must have been kind of in the evening. They climbed up a mountain after all. They're kind of worn out. They're sleeping while one of the most amazing things is going on right in front of them. And so Peter, he, he wakes up and he looks and here's Moses and Elijah. Everyone's glowing and the glory of God is around there. And what does he say? Jesus, I have a plan. You see, we can, uh, we can make some shelters here, some tabernacles, and we can have one for Moses and one for Elijah and one for you, and we can have seminars. We could have a church camp. We could have a retreat center. And Moses can have seminars on how to part the Red Seas of your life, and Elijah can have seminars on how to call fire down on people and burn them up, and you could talk about the kingdom of God. And all of a sudden, I don't know if you catch the significance of what's about to happen, but God himself, God the Father, takes time out of his busy day to rebuke Peter personally. I think I would just die. I mean, if God, <laughs> he basically, I have to be careful on how I, I phrase this, but he says, in his essence, the Blackaby translation is, uh, Peter, there's Moses here. There's Elijah here, this is the Son of God here. Why are you speaking? <laughs> the words that God says are, this is my beloved Son. Hear him. Where was Jesus going? He was going back down the mountain to Jerusalem to die. 
He didn't need to be stuck up on a mountain leading seminars at a retreat center. So tell me, how different was Peter's plan than God's plan? It was the opposite. Stay up here and have fun and, and, and fellowship. And go down and die on a cross. It couldn't have been more different. Well, it doesn't stop there because the other disciples, who I think they kind of felt left out. Well, Peter, James, and John get to go up in the mountain. What do we get to do? We just hang around here until they get back, I guess. And all of a sudden, this man comes, this father with his kid, and says, uh, can you help me? And I said, what's wrong? He said, my son. He's possessed. Uh, I get no sleep at night. He, he, he leaves the house and he goes out. He's, he's been cast into the fire, into the river to drown. Something's got a hold of my kid. I've gone to the doctors. They can't help. I've gone to the, the herb people. They can't help. I've gone to the counselors and the psychologists and the priests. Nobody can help my boy. And I'm going crazy. And I don't know what to do. I'm desperate for help. Can you do something? Well, you know, they had been earlier in the small towns casting demons out. They've been healing people. Well, let's give it a shot. And whatever they did didn't work. They, the power had gone. They, did, they were incompetent. They couldn't do anything to help this boy. Well, maybe he doesn't have enough faith. That's probably the problem. He, just, he doesn't believe enough to be healed. Or maybe he doesn't really want it. Maybe he's happy the way he is. Maybe he just likes being in that condition. Jesus and the disciples come down from the mountain, and the father rushes up to him and says, I... I, I, I asked your disciples and they could do nothing. Can you help me? My son, uh, I'm going crazy here. I, 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 he, he, a spirit seizes him, verse 39, and he suddenly cries out. It convulses him so that he foams at the mouth and it departs from him with great difficulty, bruising him. I, I asked your, it says, I begged your disciples to do something, but they could not. Something had changed, something was missing. The disciples had no power to handle this demon. And Jesus, I don't actually know who he's looking at or talking to specifically. Some think it's the Father or the crowd or some think it's the disciples. But as in verse 41, he says, Oh, faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. If I was a disciple, I'd feel a little sh sheepish at this point. Uh, I would have felt a, a rebuke. <laughs> so it says, as the sun was coming, the demon threw him down, convulsed him, and Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit, healed the child, and gave him back to his father. Wow. So what was the difference between the disciples' power and Jesus' power? They could do nothing. They were incompetent. They, they were stopped cold in their tracks. And Jesus walks in and immediately heals the child. So if you know anything about the story in, in Mark, the, uh, the other gospel uh, who records this, Mark chapter 9, the disciples actually are smart enough to say, okay, Jesus, what's, what's going on here? Why couldn't we cast this demon out? And Jesus says, well, this actual demon is particularly difficult. The only way you can eradicate this demon is through prayer and fasting. So what do you think Jesus had been involved, been involved in? Probably prayer and fasting. He, he was prayed up. He was connected with his father. And the disciples, no, they were just uh, hanging out, waiting for Jesus to come back. They weren't, they weren't ready to be brought into the kingdom activity. They weren't ready to be called up into service. They were busy with other things, but not with the power 
and authority of God. Well, it doesn't stop there. Because maybe this is why they lost their power. I don't know. Verse 46, it says there was a dispute that arose amongst the disciples as to who would be the greatest. So, John, uh, how many people did you heal back there in that village? I don't know, probably half a dozen. I healed at least a dozen. In fact, I healed a dog that was crippled walking him down the side of the pathway. How about you, uh, James? How about how did, you know, I clearly, God loves me more, and Jesus wants me to be in his, uh, his, his close-knit group, and, and I will be on his right hand. You can be on his left-hand side if you want, if you work hard, you know. There is a dispute about who is more important. And so Jesus comes in, he takes a child, sets them in the middle of the, the, the disciples, and he says this, Whoever receives this child in my name receives me. Whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he is least, he who is least in the kingdom, or at least among you, will be great. He, he takes and he flips around their priorities. He shows them that his ways are different than their ways. That you can't achieve kingdom results with man's ingenuity and man's plans. So tell me, how different was the disciples' priorities than Jesus' priorities. Okay, it's a bit of a pattern here. You're seeing the pattern. Every time something happens and the disciples encounter a difficult situation, they come up with some kind of a plan that happens to be the opposite of what God well, doesn't stop there because John, he decides, well, he's going to get bonus points with Jesus as a disciple. He says, Jesus, um, by the way, uh, as we were going, we saw this man who was casting demons out in your name. Don't worry, though, we took care of it. We forbid him from doing that because he doesn't walk with us. He didn't go to the right school. He's, he's got a strange accent. Uh, his culture is a little bit different. He's the wrong gender. He's got the wrong denomination. Whatever the thing is, he hasn't been sacrificing like we have. He hasn't been paying the price like we have. So... Uh, just thought you should know that. We've taken care of it. Appreciate it. And Jesus looks at him and says, in verse 50, do not forbid him, for he who is not against us is on our side. Okay. <laughs> can, they, can they get anything right? I mean, this entire chapter so far, they're messing up one after another after another time. So, in terms, of, in terms of John and his strategy, how close was that to Jesus's? It was like, you know, there's something going on in this chapter. And I, I ask you to read it over again later. But it, it actually gets scarier than that. You see, in Isaiah 55, verse 8 and 9, God is saying through Isaiah, your ways are not my ways. Your thoughts are not my thoughts. As high as the heavens are from the earth, that's how distant your best thinking is from mine. You can't even begin to imagine what I want to do. That's why I'm God. This is a loose translation paraphrase. In Ephesians 3.20, Jesus kind of reinforces this. He says, Christ is, well, uh, Paul writes, Christ is able to do what? Exceedingly, abundantly, beyond what we can think or imagine. So, you know, our best, we've got some pretty smart people here. I can see a few people that look intelligent out there. You know, studied, credentialed, degrees, you know, work hard, uh, high in the IQ scale. But let me just say, the combined best thinking of all of us 
still falls short of what God wants to do. So how do you know what's going on? How do you, well, there's just one more story here because this is the scariest one. Verse 31, oh, sorry, verse 51, Jesus takes his disciples into Samaria and he's wanting to stop at a Samaritan village for the evening. So he sends uh, James and John and uh, they have a nickname. What's his nickname? Do you remember what it is? Sons of Thunder. And maybe this is why, I don't know, but this, I, what I can picture is James and John going to the Samaritan village and they, they're saying as they go under their breath, why is he sending us to a Samaritan village? Like, we don't get along. Samaritans and the Jews are enemies. We don't even talk, to, we walk on the other side of the street when we see a Samaritan coming. What, what are we doing in this village? And I have a feeling that when they went up to the first house, the Samaritan opens the door, looks at them, <laughs> looks amazed, slams the door in their face. Like, what do you, get off my property. Who do you think you are? Goes to the next house. Maybe it's a little worse. Maybe they kick, get off my, who do you, and they spit at them, and, and James and John's going, I knew this was going to happen. This was a bad idea. What was Jesus thinking? They come back to Jesus. He says, Jesus, we've got a plan. Now just hear us out. I mean, it sounds a little unorthodox, but um, we've got a plan. So, you know, like in business, you have to, you have to pay a price to, in order to you know, sacrifice a little in order to gain more later. Well, you see, there's 19 or 20 villages around here, and uh, if, we, if we call fire down on this village and burn them up into like crispy critters, then when we go to the next village, they, you know, would you like to hear about Jesus? Because you see the smoke rising in the distance? That's what happens when you say no. <laughs> yes, 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 of course, come to my house. Can I feed you something? You can save 19 villages by sacrificing this one. It's a great, you know, business strategy. And what does Jesus say? Verse 55, he turns and he rebukes them and he says, Whoa, you do not even know what manner of spirit you are of. You think sometimes we, we're out of our mind? <laughs> He's basically saying to the disciples, you're out of your mind. Have you not learned anything? He says, the son of man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And he went to another village. I wanted to call a little bit of fire down on people in the past, you know, people that annoy me and, you know, uh, but uh, that's not what Christianity is about. It's about saving people, not condemning people, not criticizing people, but loving them into the kingdom. It's an interesting story because in the book of Acts, later on in Acts chapter 8, Peter and John, this is after the resurrection, and they go back into Samaria. And they were going to investigate what was going on with Philip. Philip the evangelist was in Samaria, of all places, sharing the gospel. So they decided to go investigate. And so what, what did Peter and John find? Brothers and sisters in Christ instead of enemies. Can you imagine? Maybe they, I just would like to think they went to the same village that John went to before. He was about to burn them all up. And now he sees brothers and sisters in Christ. And I probably fell on his knees and said, God, thank you for not 
going with my plan, but with going with your plan. God, thank you for showing me that my ways are not your ways. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, I know the purposes or the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. Purposes of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. Now here's the key. Like if we want to know what's on the heart and mind of God, Jeremiah gives us a clue. Chapter 29, verse 12. You will call on me. And that's why we have prayer meetings. That's why we bow on our knees and we go before God to say, God, I don't know what to do. I need your help. What do you, what do you have in mind to do in this situation? Because I'm at a loss. We will call on him and we will go and pray to him. And he says, I will listen. So then we, get, we have God's attention. We're going to call and pray. We have his attention. And then in verse 13 it says, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. I will be found by you, says the Lord. Just throwing a quick prayer up to God isn't quite as effective as you might think. Just kind of popping in a a coin and pulling out an answer into the, the prayer machine, it's not how God functions. He wants to have your heart. He wants to have all of you. It says that we will find him if we seek him with all of our heart. When you pray and call out to God, can you say that you're calling on him with all of your heart? Or is it just, hey, God, you know, I'm going to have a rough day today. Can you, can you bless me a little bit? And yeah, I've got to go. Sorry, I'll catch up with you later, God. Is that kind of all of your heart prayer? Is that a, separate yourself and find a quiet place and fall on your knees and open up the scriptures and read a little bit and say, God, show me what's going on. I don't know. Should I stay in this job anymore? Father, should I move my family to this other place? Father, should I marry this person that you brought into my life? God, I don't want to mess up. God, I don't want to ruin the rest of my days. Show me your plans. So that's what our, our elders are doing in the church. Every month there's a prayer time that they gather together. They're praying that God would show us his plans, his ways. How are we going to reach our neighbors? How do we reach our community? How do we bless this city? How do we challenge and encourage all the other churches, all the, the other members of the team in the kingdom in our area? How do we reach the world? Well, not with our plans. <laughs> they don't do much. In fact, we could be fighting against God when we implement our plans if we're not careful. We won't have the power and authority of God by accomplishing our plans. In fact, God is not glorified by blessing our plans. God is glorified through our obedience to his plans. Then we will see the power and the authority of God manifesting itself through you and through me in reaching lives and changing souls for eternity and seeing marriages come back together and kids getting back on track and families coming together because the power and the authority of God is flowing through this congregation to make a difference. We have a time of remembrance right now. We call it the Lord's Supper or Communion. If you would mind just bowing your heads and letting me pray over you, I want to actually reference another verse in Luke chapter 9, verse 20. Jesus turns to Peter in verse 20. He says, who do you say that I am? Peter says, Christ, the Christ, the Son of God. I was thinking about this, 
And I thought to myself, you know, it's easy for us to sing, he is Lord and, you know, King of Kings. But then we, we treat him like he's a teacher or a wise man or a prophet. Not the Lord of our life. Because we don't seek him with all of our heart. We're not on bended knees trying to find out what his plans are for our family, for our life, for our career, for our church. We need to return to proving that he is our Lord, the Christ of God, our Savior, the King of Kings. Not just a good teacher, not just a wise man, not just a prophet that everyone else seems to think he is, but Lord. And then we can be about finding his plans for our life. Let's pray. Father God, you sent your son as a sacrifice. He went up on that mountain, was encouraged by Elijah and Moses, but he knew he had a job to do. He had a task ahead. He had a world to save through his sacrifice. And we celebrate that obedience to your will today through communion. We recognize the body, the blood broken for us on that cross. That was your plan. It wasn't Jesus' plan. He would have given it up in the Garden of Gethsemane, but he says, not my will or not my plans, but yours be done. Father, may our church continually say that, not just here in this building, but around our kitchen table. When we, when we rise up in the morning and when we go to sleep at night, may your plans be done, Father, in my life and in my family. Guide us into your presence even now as we honor you through remembrance of the sacrifice of your son. We pray this in his name. Amen. Would you take the, the bread or I'd say this rice wafer. And just understand that Christ at a young age understood that God had a plan for his life. The whole, his whole life was under the, the hand of God, was under the direction of God as ours should be too. So as, would you just break that as a symbolic act of his life, body broken for us. And as we eat this, let us, would you mind just saying out loud or under your breath somewhere, he is Lord. And let's eat this together. If you're finding that your plans are just not working out, that you've met failure after failure, and you're realizing maybe today that it's like night and day when you turn your life fully over into the hands of God for his will, his guidance, his power, his protection, his authority. You want to see God's power and authority manifested through your life. It's time to let him actually be in charge. To trust him. Would you take the cup And here Jesus asking you the same question he asked Peter, who do you say that I am? They could also say, who's the boss of your life? Who's in charge? Who's in control? Who has the authority to give you direction? And if it's Jesus, would you drink this together with all the rest of us as he is the one we've come here to serve today? Father God, this is your church, it's your people, your facilities. And we ask for you to show us your plans, your ways, your pathways, the road that we need to travel down 
The one that may be costly, but may reach more people than we could never even have imagined because you can do beyond what we can even think. Thank you for this day, Father, and a reminder through your disciples as they were learning who you were and how your ways are so different. Thank you we can learn by studying what they learned. Guide us, Father, into your presence even now. And those, Father, that you may have touched in their life, may they feel free to come and pray with those who would love to pray with them and help, help them get their life back maybe on the right pathway. Thank you, Father, for this morning, for this service, for the worship we've given to you. And pray you'll bless it all. In Christ's name, amen.